Good evening, Cantina Dwellers. We are back. Did you miss us? We missed you. Oh, oh man, I missed you too, Leah. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. I mean, hello, our patrons. I know we've been gone, but we're back and we were hard at work. A lot of you might have seen an uptick in our socials. We have a presence on TikTok. We've got a presence on Instagram. Yes, we have a Twitter. No, I really don't know how to use it, and I kind of hate Twitter. So that's slow coming. And we have established a YouTube space, but I haven't posted anything on that. So look out for that. Still no face reveals, uh, but we'll maybe in the future if we get popular enough. But that is dependent on you. Uh, but I'm really glad for to come back. There's so much going on. I mean, right now... The internet, of course, is all abuzz with The Kenobi Show. And yes, it is a bit early. It doesn't start for another two months. But what we're going to be doing is bringing you our regularly scheduled content. So we're going to be doing what we have always said we were going to be doing, which was discussing the uncivilized in a civilized manner. But do not fret. When Kenobi comes out, oh, best believe... You will be able to hear our squeals worldwide. And yes, Ken is showing me his lovely daddy. I mean, sorry, daddy. I'm sorry. Um, dad, Obi-Wan Kenobi, black uh, edition from Target exclusive in his Clone Wars armor, which to those who don't know me, oh, that's one thing. Okay, yes, I am waiting for the Can You Can 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 episode. Um, it is a, a pipe dream. I understand yes. this. Yes. But. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but. Fingers crossed. Nicole Kidman. Yes. Fingers crossed. But I would love to see a flashback of him in his Clone Wars armor because mm, if you've played the game Battlefield, you know what I'm talking about. <sighs> Absolutely, Leah. Absolutely. The whole purpose of this show is, as Leah said, we're going to get into our stuff socially, Star Wars-y, whatever-y, and we're going to talk about it like two adults who can be respectful and hear each other out. And you know what? I like that. I like having fun like that because I think life is boring if I'm surrounded by the same people or at least people who think the same as me, I should say. So today's topic, since we're talking about characters we secretly have, well, not even characters, but actors, I would say, slash characters, maybe. Are they one and the same? Who knows? Look, that... I'm just saying, <laughs> if I was in the Sky River galaxy, I'm just saying that there is a standing engagement between myself and Obi-Wan Kenobi, if we happen to find ourselves uh, in the same sector, on the same planet, or moon, it is what it is. And you know what? That's totally cool. Headcanon is what it is. <laughs> and that'll be <laughs> that'll be one of our one of our segments coming up here because you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is such a great character. Ewan McGregor 
in many ways really brought him to life. No disrespect to Sir Alec Guinness. He was the entry point. He is the mentor type character, the wizened wizard when we meet him in A New Hope, all the way through Return of the Jedi. But Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's the one I grew up watching on the silver screen. It's the one that got even better with the Clone Wars. And I feel like this is going to be the character's speeder bike ride into the sunset. Because Ewan will be able to do Obi-Wan Kenobi right in ways that George Lucas could not pull off. And where I'm going with this, people, is, you know, Obi-Wan believe it or not, wasn't a character I liked very much. Not that I didn't like him, but at the time as a kid, it was just the Alec Guinness version. All I knew him as was the old man who went down fighting Vader to give Luke, Han, and Leia time to escape and get under Vader's skin. Would this piss him off or would this piss him off? Ha! Although, segue, hey, how cool is it that the last thing Obi-Wan sees are Anakin and Padme's kids reunited right before he dies? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty dope. I mean, that really is beautiful. So, so and, and we speaking we talk, about kids. Yeah. And, and we actually talk about this sort of thing all the time, these, these Obi-Wan and, and such. So we got to thinking, hey, what other characters did we actually grow to love? And we asked ourselves... Things like, why wouldn't we like a character initially? What would make them unlikable? What sorts of things would make a person change their opinion? And the biggest thing that I found was drawing that fine line between loving to hate and hating to love. Like, yes. I don't care what everybody says. I think Cad Bane is a massive piece of... <laughs> Insert bleep sound there. <laughs> and not not because he's well written, but just because he's just I just I cannot stand that character. I I am surprised he kept his head, you know, through our Clone Wars, and somebody didn't do the Django Fett special on that guy, and bring him into Book of Boba Fett. While I kind of got it, I was just waiting for Boba Fett to shove a rocket up his rear end, just exhaust port, shove a rocket up his exhaust port, just to just to you know settle that one so leah why don't you get us going with a character that you grew to love sure and honestly i don't think that people are going to be very surprised considering the fact that i went on a a bit of a rant in one of our previous episodes about this character in particular uh which is of course ahsoka tano now i she is honestly the reason why it took me so long to watch The Clone Wars. That is no exaggeration. I used to coach high school girls, so she gives me flashbacks. And I mean, when, you know, it starts off, you know, one of the first things she says is, Doesn't anyone want to know what the Padawan has to say? No! No, we don't. Sit down. Be quiet. And ironically, as somebody explained it to me, she's very similar to her master. And maybe her master's influence is one of the reasons why she acts that way. And as we know, her master is Anakin Skywalker, which is the second person that I kind of came to grow to love. 
Uh, so I think for me, it's pretty interesting that these two were, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. But for everybody, the matrix that we're going off of to this is, you know, we really dialed into what makes a character unlikable, you know, and what makes a person change their opinion. Is it a specific event? Is it the entire arc? Maybe they don't realize it. And on and what and what Ken was saying earlier is that what is the difference between loving to hate and hating to love? The first thing, like I said with Ahsoka, is that I had the flashbacks to just terrible coaching experiences, you know, girls in my face trying to think that they were better than me, you know, questioning everything. And while some of you are like, oh, well, it's a, you know, child's place to question, not in this manner. I mean, it was direct confrontation. And I found that Ahsoka really did that. I mean, she willingly, for her own hubris, let her squadron die because it was more important to win a battle, not even really a full offense battle, just a skirmish. Her pride was so important that she would rather let that happen than, you know, falling back. She, this was not a dying on the sword kind of a thing. This was more of, you know, this was definitely a prideful thing. This was a lesson that needed to be learned. And she wasn't punished for it. Which to me, that is, whoo, like that is a cardinal sin. Children need punishment. Now, I don't have children of my own. Like I said, I, I taught kids, so I do know a little bit about kids. Um, Ken here does have two children, and, and I'm not sure if he would agree with me. I think he might. But children do need punishment, and the fact that she really didn't get a punishment for that was just like, oh, this is war. I'm like, that's not getting to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter was that she was prideful. There was nothing to stop that pride. Another thing, uh, you know, is just that the toxicity that, you know, both her and Anakin bring. But, and I'm going to say something really controversial here. And I'm sure that people on the other side of my thinking will agree, but not for the same reasons. Ahsoka is Dave Filoni's fan insert. She is his, she is him. So for as long as he is creating Star Wars content, there will be Ahsoka. Ahsoka will be there because it's him. That is his persona in fan fiction. And while, and as a writer, somebody who has written a novel, there are parts of you that can come into your characters. And, you know, a lot, the majority of writers, I don't know any writer that doesn't start off with putting themselves into a story, not necessarily fan fiction, just using traits of theirs into a story. And I'm not saying that Ahsoka hasn't evolved from that point, but this is the definition of self-insert, and it's not always a good thing. And for me, I would have honestly been fine with her staying at the World Between Worlds. When we see her last battling Vader, if that was it, I would have been happy. I would have been totally fine. All very great points, Leah. Yeah, Ahsoka was very much that annoying teenager character that you kind of can't help but cringe when they open their mouths to speak. I worked 
with teenagers and younger for better part of a decade plus, almost 15 years. So Ahsoka initially early on, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly stand her. Like, how could I? She was written in such a way, almost on purpose to be that way. That was her start. And it wasn't until the arcs started progressing, the seasons went on, that a lot of that started to change and she started to mature ever so slowly. You're absolutely right. She she screwed up. She let lives perish just because she wanted to win and was not punished for it. Now, there's different types of punishment. There's the overt outright yep this is there's going to be absolute consequences in terms of incarceration corporal punishment capital punishment what have you given the state of the galaxy at the time the jedi themselves and their slip from what it meant to be a jedi very difficult to figure out what the best kind of punishment was internally though she carried that arguably the rest of the series rest of the series now whether i'm wrong that's just me i read into that the way i did i kind of agree as much as i love ahsoka now i kind of agree she could have stayed in a world between worlds but i feel like filoni and company wrote themselves into a corner and the world between worlds in and of itself is a concept I have opinions on, which I will get into a little later because, spoiler alert, one of my favorite characters that I grew to love is Ezra Bridger. So it'll be a perfect segue for later. As far as Ahsoka goes, you know, I, I agree with a lot of that, that she was a Anakin that she got some of that toxicity from Anakin and that she is in a way Filoni's self-insert, even though his favorite character is actually Plo Koon. Well, your favorite character can be another character other than your own. Many people who write find that their favorite character isn't the main character. It's a supporting character, somebody who has greatly helped the main character. But I wanted to touch on something you said regarding the war. She is a child. And they made her a general in a war. The last place she should have been was in the middle of a war. If anybody is disagreeing with me on that, take a look at our own world. Take a look at what is going on in other places in the world that harbor, that recruit, and train child soldiers. You wouldn't, you don't, do you stand for that? If you do, we have a far different conversation we need to have. But she is a child. Not only, how many of you, when you were 14, had the ability to lead a military squadron? Let alone your, your school club. She was too young and they treated her like she was. And the thing was, is that people go, oh, well, Anakin, again, we'll get to Anakin. Anakin was only 19 and they treated him and they wrote him out like he was 10 years older and they did the same with her. Honestly, I think one of the biggest problems 
that these characters have is that they were far too young for the situations that they were put into. If, she, if Ahsoka was 24 and doing this, this would be a different conversation. I would still say, you know what, she's a bit young, but granted, we do have men and women on the front lines who are this age or younger who are being put into leadership roles, battlesh- battlefield leadership roles, that doesn't mean it's okay. That doesn't mean that's what it's supposed to happen. And I don't think anybody here would agree with that. I don't think anybody thinking of battlefield promotions think it's okay, but they believe it is a necessity and that is all. There's nothing really to be gained from that. So to me, like, that's what it is. Now, what got me to like her was Rosario Dawson. Because, and I've said this before, one of the things that I don't like about Ahsoka's character is not necessarily with the character itself, but how the character is portrayed. The voice actress, and as somebody who is a voice actress, and I have to apologize for my current voice, I got sick for the first time in two years, and it sucks. Ashley Eccleston? Eccleston? Eckstein. 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 Thank you. She does not change her character throughout any of the animated editions. Her voice is exactly the same from when she first appears to her exit in Rebels. Yes, it does. You, you, I, I see your look. Yes, it does. It does not. She might get calmer, but her voice doesn't age. It doesn't age. She sounds the exact same, and it all gets me. But Rosario Dawson is the grown-up. She is the adult. And seeing that, seeing the Jedi training still within the character, even as an adult, even 20 years after she left the Jedi Order, is a good thing to see. Because we see her identity. We see that it is still a part of our identity. That these moral teachings, that these pieces of her and these lessons that she was taught, for good reason, never left. She understood the value in it. So that to me, and that, again, is a testament to Rosario Dawson's character. Like her talent as an actress. Um, And as we know, I said, you know, come the, what was it? Uh, Her role in Book of Boba Fett, where I was furiously, furiously like, please don't backslide. Please please don't make me hate you again. Um, And I didn't. And I could see why she did what she did. So, but that, that is, that is, that is why I hated Ahsoka. And I've I've come to love Ahsoka. But I will say it's really just the Rosario. And I'm excited for the Ahsoka show because I'm excited for Rosario Dawson. I think that she's going to breathe so much life into this character that she couldn't have before because we have a phenomenal talent uh, and, a, and, an, and an actress that is able to bring so many things, this minutia, this nuance that we've seen throughout all of her characters that really, honestly, it's just going to go up. And 
if I don't like something Ahsoka does, I know that it does not have anything to do with Rosario Dawson. It's with the writing. And I will make that very clear. <laughs> oh, absolutely. A lot of great points there, Leah. So first off, I never said it was right. Just that was what the Jedi had her do as as a as a Padawan. Why they had those kids as commanders, generals, whatever. That's one of the reasons why they kind of deserved a fall. They were so not Jedi at the time. They were so mired and in bed with Republic politics that base Windu. Oh, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. Well, look what you end up becoming. You end up taking, first of all, if you're too stupid to, to not have Obi-Wan be like, yo, I found this army over here. I found that army over there. Is there something up here? And you're not going to put those two together and figure out that something's up. Yes. You, you, you all deserve to get blown up. So, yeah, Rosario Dawson really took that to the next level because I was watching the shows. Seeing her in Rebels was amazing and getting the first live action appearance. It was one of those leaks I was kind of hoping not to be true. I, w I was hoping for Ashley Eckstein. No disrespect to Rosario Dawson. I just I'm a sucker for I personally liked her portrayal. There was a little bit of aging for me. Like I was just watching the Clone Wars movie the other day with my kids and her voice is way different than what it is in Siege of Mandalore. Maybe not as different to Leah's trained eye, but for me, I feel like, yeah, there was some growth there. I didn't change all that much in high school. I mean, my voice finally dropped in like the 10th grade, but I stayed sounding the same up until about end of college. So again, that might just be the voice direction more than anything. Like, Hey, maybe try getting a little lower with your voice. Like they could have done that. You're absolutely right. There wasn't a whole lot of variation in that. Once you get past Clone Wars season four up through Rebels and that, that I feel does a disservice to the character. And you're absolutely say, right. Young young people, real quick, real young people, yes, having to be thrust in those those positions isn't right. With the tragedy happening in Ukraine, the men were staying to fight. Women and children were were being let out. So unless they were of what quote unquote fighting age, which hopefully is about eighteen, being a, an adult to make your own decisions, yeah, you shouldn't be throwing in teenagers to do that stuff. You really shouldn't. Yeah. I will say, regarding the direction, a lot of people are like, well, maybe that's what the director wanted. And they're trying to say passive-aggressively that's what Dave Filoni wanted. Here's something that a lot of people don't realize. Actors have power. They have the ability to say yes and no. Mark Hamill did it with Luke uh, Skywalker and George Lucas with A New Hope. There's a clip of him. There's this really long, complicated sentence that like Luke, uh, George Lucas wanted him to say. And he was like... No, no. And the thing is, is he can still recite it. It's so ridiculous. Another thing is that in the prequels is Ewan McGregor, for example, did the same thing. He told George Lucas no. And I think one of the reasons why we have such wooden acting from Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen is because they were too young to understand that they could say no. But you do have the ability to say no. And again... 
another little gripe, and I think we can touch on this with Ezra, is, but I think Ezra has more of a reason, is that so many plot lines revolved around Ahsoka, and there was no reason for them to, to be revolving around her. <laughs> but again, like I said, with Rosario Dawson, you know, it, it came back. It, but again, it, it might just be, you know, as friends of mine joked, oh, look, here's a young female character that Leah doesn't like, that Leah has a problem. Because I, hey, for some reason, need them to be perfect. <laughs> and, and, and I understand why they're... Growing up, you don't really think about it in the context of your adult life now because your brain is not developed. You, you don't... You're not an adult. So at the time, it's boys like boy things, girls like girl things. A very gendered way of growing up. And it was very, 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 very rare to have a girl like Ninja Turtles, like Power Rangers, like, you know what I mean? So there weren't very many action heroes. We'll call them that. For girls to look up to, for girls to see. So for me... I don't have that experience of not seeing someone like me, even in the slightest, be an action hero. And I'm going to say that in a very general sense because being fair-skinned, being straight, you know, those are just my experience is what it is. So it's it's I try to hear people out with their with their life story and who they are and why things matter the way they do for them, which is a lost art, by the way, we, we don't have any more. Thank you. Social media. Anyway, things that Ken hates. So to get Ahsoka on the screen and have that arc, I think that's absolutely incredible. Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor, Ahsoka Tano, Ray, to an extent, in the sequel trilogy, and maybe that's a conversation we could have another time about the difference between Ray and Ahsoka, just in how they're written. Hell, even Princess Leia. Princess Leia is right up there. She has a great arc in the originals, and I think they torpedoed that in the sequels, but there again is a whole other topic of conversation. So I'm glad you brought Ezra back up again because... He's the one who brings her back into the realm of the living and one of the wonkiest Star Wars things I've ever seen. And this is a guy who read a lot of Legends material, a.k.a. the EU. And there was some weird stuff back then, too. <laughs> like, there really was. So, as a bridger, for me, kind of like Ahsoka, very annoying, very irritating character. He was a war orphan. His parents were taken from him by the Empire. He had to live on the street, eking out a living stealing to get by to just not starve. And he happens upon Freddie Prince jr. And he becomes arguably one of the better Jedi characters of the, the new Disney canon. And for me, what makes a character unlikable generally is how they're written. 
the performance. Sometimes an actress isn't right for a role. It's the actor's performance that takes me out of it. They throw somebody new in there and it's like, oh, great. That's awesome. And I'm going to say this nicely. I think Terrence Howard is a great actor. He was not right for the role of Rhodey in Iron Man. He wasn't. He wasn't. I like Don Cheadle an awful lot. I think Don Cheadle nails it every time he's on. And I buy Don Cheadle's Rhodey way more than I ever bought Terrence Howard's Rhodey. So there again, writing, performance, those two things generally make a character really unlikable for me. Also agency. Why are they there? Why are they there? And even back then, there are characters in existence whose sole reason for being was probably some stupid like gimmick or like, oh, this person is X, Y, or Z just to pander, appeal to a certain crowd. They exist. They do. Even back in the 90s, those types of characters exist. Thanks to social media now, we can talk about characters in a way that we weren't able to back in the 90s. So in today's context, when you have the blowback for something like casting an actor or actress in a role that has traditionally been depicted as X in some kind of media, and now it's Y over here, now, because of our ability to communicate with each other, you have these two camps of, oh, it's just creativity. Oh, no, it's not original at all, that sort of thing. But with Ezra, I felt that over time, what made me really start to like the character was that I started to see that I started looking at him through a different lens. I am the oldest of, of three kids boys and my youngest brother and I for a few years we just would butt heads constantly and we wouldn't see eye to eye on a lot of things and it was when I had come home from college and he was just getting out of high school I had grown up a little bit I had been out on my own for a while and I just was down on my luck and I was very fortunate to be able to come home and he was the only kid in the house he was living out my parents house is out in the middle of nowhere which is very peaceful but not having any social interaction capability very difficult so here's me trying to show up and tell him how to live his life and he just wasn't having it and I failed to see that he was becoming his own person so once I kind of switched lenses and I started to see Ezra through Kanan's eyes, it started to click and I started to kind of see what Ezra, who Ezra was, what he needed, which was somebody to just believe in him and someone to be there for him. And he needed that, that peace of mind of knowing that he was not, Kanan was not going to be one more person the empire would take from him. Even though ultimately that's what happens. Spoiler alert. Kanan ends up dying in a very heroic manner. And once Ezra kind of came to peace with that, he started to really come into his own as a Jedi character. And to backtrack a little bit, Ezra's dabbling with the dark side. That's something that all young people can resonate with. We all go through those periods where just the world doesn't make sense. We have all these sudden emotions, or at least the emotions we have are like heightened 
and we don't know what to do with them and it's hard to process it's hard to articulate it's it it's it's like no one could possibly know or understand what's going on and all we need is that one person to be in our corner and say okay hey it's okay these things are okay what you're feeling is a feeling and feelings are okay it's how you're embodying them it's how you're letting them out it's how you're you're ultimately processing them and acting upon them that's that's the the key so once Ezra is taken away from that sort of anger angry male kind of stereotype set on the straight and narrow path again that's when he really starts to blossom too I think it's interesting that you brought up seeing it through Kanan's eyes because and I just binged the fourth season um and I knew that Kanan was going to die and it wasn't Kanan's death that made me cry because I was kind of you know, expecting it. Also, I feel that it was a cop out and that it was like, and even the explanation for it, I don't think was enough. However, and I talked to Ken about this, it was the aftermath. It was, it was him saying, you know, may the force be with you. It was Ezra. I'm getting a little teary-eyed at it. I mean, I literally just watched this like two days ago. Uh, it was Ezra really embodying that. And you can see that in the fourth season of Rebels. You can see Kanan come into his own as a master and as a person that Ezra needs. But you can also see Ezra starting to see things from Kanan's point of view, starting to understand why Kanan is saying the things he's saying or doing the things that he's doing or leading him in that certain way. And honestly, even though, you know, angry white boy trope, teenage boy trope, that is something that teenage boys do go with. It's a trope for a reason because it is true. It is things that happen. Um, but I think that they did it in a healthy way. Uh, I think that, you know, you see the process, the the you know, the, the five stages of grief that go through that. But I, I honestly was surprised to see Ezra on this list from you, Ken, because you named your youngest after him. And I was just, I was taken aback. I mean, we had this conversation and I was just like, wait, what? Because I'm like, okay, but you're like, oh, well, you know, it was the Star Wars name I could get my wife to accept. I'm like, okay, but Luke, like, really? <laughs> My best friend from childhood is named Luke. Uh, I wasn't ever going to let or get that one out the door. Got ben it. was not a – Owen was actually on our list, but not nearly as cool as Ezra. Uh, Ezra is also biblical, so yes, that it, it was kind of a two – yeah, so Ezra is kind of a twofer in Surprise. that way. But uh, Anakin is taken from the biblical name Anakim, A-N-I-K. A-N-I-K-I-M as in Mike. So Anakin is nice. a riff off that. So it, that also does have biblical uh, standings from it. And an anagram is Annika, which I think <laughs> if they ever kept the Skywalkers going, I could see Annika Skywalker or Annika Solo being a wonderful name because my favorite Star Wars character is Anakin Solo. And that's another, <laughs> that's a whole other topic conversation. So anyway, yeah. It's because of Ezra's arc 
really coming in season three and beyond. That's what really made me focus on the character. And I feel like Hondo and then Hondo, there is nothing I wouldn't do for that boy. Like how, how is that not touching Hondo of all characters? He's got to be in Ahsoka series, man. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's got to be there. Like, come on. How can you? Anyway. I do have so, one question for you though. I have one sure. question for you. Um, sure. So I, I don't know <laughs> for you guys. I'm, I'm when it comes to these things, like I'm the one who comes up with the questions. I'm the one who comes up with the format. Uh, and I want to say that compared to mine, I just, I'm not going to say I phoned mine in because I didn't, but it was much more emotional, it was much more kind of stream of consciousness. Ken over here has, because we've got a section called like notable character appearances. And I'm just like, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. He's got this list of five to six per season for for Ezra and I'm just like I don't know what any of these mean or why <laughs> but the level of detail puts me to shame and I just want to say good job but also what do these mean <laughs> I understood the assignment Leah you did understand so, the assignment so for those of you who are also curious I find that to really truly understand the character better you got to go back and look at the material. The great thing about episodic television is that they can do like a round robin of who's the focus of the week, so to speak. So for each season, the episodes that I found the best for Ezra were, okay, season one. I'll, I'll just rattle off a couple, okay? So Rise of the Old Masters, that's when Kanan is still very unsure about being Ezra's teacher. And so he wants to essentially ditch him and, and put him off on Luminara Unduli, who we think is still alive. Turns out she is not. And they use her corpse as a lure to bring in Jedi. And Kanan finally realizes, hey, I... I am going to teach you. If all I do is try, I'm going to fail. And that to me is one of those nuanced approaches to the character of being a Jedi. I start to kind of get into the George Lucas way of showcasing what a Jedi is. And Kanan starting that journey on being a master, a true master. Okay. Another good one, Path of the Jedi, that's when Ezra and Kanan group discover the hidden temple on Lothal, and Ezra gets his lightsaber crystal. And then fire across the galaxy when Kanan has to rescue Ezra from the Grand Inquisitor. And because he thinks Ezra is dead, he says, I'm not angry. I, I have nothing left to fear. It's not that he's fear of losing anything. He has nothing left to fear which gets into the idea of attachment. So getting into season two, we have Twilight of the Apprentice. Very awesome, awesome duology because Darth Vader, our boy Darth Vader makes an appearance and the return of Maul, that phantom menace. And Kanan gets blinded, which takes us into season three and things like the Holocrons of Fate where... Ezra has been dabbling in a Sith holocron and starting to go a little dark. 
minus the goth hairdo and eyeshadow. But he sports a fancy brand new green lightsaber. And my youngest his favorite color is green. That is not a coincidence. So, <laughs> yes. So then Kanan finally realizes, hey, I've been kind of absent. I need to be there more for you, especially because Maul takes over the ship. And he tries to get Ezra to combine holocrons, light and dark. And they each get to see something. Another notable season three episode really isn't Ezra's episode, but it's kind of Ezra's episode. Twin Sons featuring Stephen Stanton as Alec Guinness version Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is amazing because we get probably one of the best duels in Star Wars because it's samurai, very samurai. Maul tries to pull that maneuver on Obi-Wan that he did to Qui-Gon before killing him. And Obi-Wan's like, nope, I'm going to see right through that. And one, two, three, dead. Just like that. And at first when I saw that, I was like, disappointed but then i started thinking about like no 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 artfully done artfully done oh goodness only just the fact that it was based on samurai films to kind of segue back a second there leah my favorite episode out of all the live action star wars shows so far is the jedi from mandalorian season two i've watched that episode so many times absolutely gorgeous episode Mm -hmm. samurai film based episode Rosario Dawson rocking it as Ahsoka. Like when she goes to first attack the village at the end of the episode at the beginning, they're, they're knocking that bell thing to signal everyone that she's coming. Yeah. And then she goes and slices it in two and knocks it down to tell everyone that she's there. The sound of that thing hitting the ground. That's like, okay, this is it. It's on. So the leaves and the cherry blossoms. Image. Yes. Imagery. And all that. So anyway, back to Ezra. Then we get into season four and pretty much like the last like half of the season, Jedi Knight, when Kanan passes away, Doom, where Ezra is in his grief. He's starting to commune with essentially Kanan's spirit as a wolf, Loth wolf. Wolves and a door, which gets us into the world between worlds, a fool's hope, where he is tempted by Sir... I don't know if he's a sir. He's tempted by Ian McDermott, the emperor. He's tempted with ultimate power, which is just being used as a means to an end for Palpatine. And he turns it down. He does and the then same the final... thing. It's the same thing with Anakin. He uses the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah. I can bring, yep. help you bring back the dead. Yep. And he actually comes close. He's tempted. And then we get to family reunion and a farewell. <laughs> Space whales. <laughs> Space whales. That was a disappointing ending. <laughs> I can understand why a lot of people are dissatisfied. I was highly dissatisfied. But yeah, I mean. I just snorted. I don't <laughs> Anyway, yes. So Ezra Bridger ended up becoming a great character for a lot of reasons for me. And. I can totally understand why he doesn't work as a character for other people, but there you have it. There's, there's Ken's first hot take. (laughs) Ken's first hot take. I like it. All right. So that's going to bring us, I, I think it's interesting that Palpatine did the same thing with Ezra that he did with Anakin, which was, you know, the whole, uh, Darth Plagueis, the wise, I, you know, bring people back from the dead. And the reason why 
I I didn't like Anakin was mostly because my introduction, because, okay, my basis is that Anakin and Vader are two separate characters. Yes, they inhabit the same body. They are two separate people. And small little side note, in Rebels, I would have thought artwork would have been much more poignant when we have Matt Lanter, you know, reprising his role as Anakin, saying Ahsoka, if his eyes were to go blue for just a moment before going back, right? It's that wrestling. And I'm sure that a lot of people are like, oh no, it was a trick. He was trying to manipulate her. I don't know if we can truly say that. So for me, I think that, you know, if his eyes had gone back to blue for just a moment, that would have been more of a manipulation, honestly. But I think that would have been more of a manipulation uh, for the audience, which is fair in storytelling. And also, one of the reasons why I didn't like Anakin to begin with. Now, my first introduction with Anakin was not the original trilogy. It was not Return of the Jedi. It was episode one. And here he was, a nine-year-old boy, which we can get into the debate of whether or not it was appropriate for them to cast him that young or to even have him that young in the story to begin with. But for me, he was a super whiny kid. It was, he was annoying. And I was at an age where I was coaching. I was actively coaching at this time. And if I heard another whiny child, I was going to scream and pull my hair out. And a lot of people brought up the good. They're like, oh, but don't you realize that Luke does this? This is, you know, and I'm like, yeah, Luke did it when he was 19 and that didn't make it okay. Like, (laughs) it's not okay. But then you have, but mostly, and I don't have any real gripes with Ryan Lloyd. Not, sorry, I'm about to say my, my boyfriend, my, my high school boyfriend's name. <coughs> what's the what's the actor's name? Um, Hayden Christensen. No, not the young one. Oh, Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd. No, my issue is not with Jake Lloyd. He was a child. He was doing his job. Uh, and in fact, I really don't have a problem now. I don't have a problem with episode one, Anakin. It makes sense. Him as a boy makes sense now. Where I have problems with Anakin is, most notably, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Because not only do we have him being obsessive over Padme for 10 years, and they haven't seen each other in 10 years. Now, it would be different if they had seen each other throughout and maybe not have seen each other for like a couple years. Yeah, what's up? I was just going to say... To everyone who wants to knock episode two, and I'll kind of join you a little bit. I've started to soften on that film a little bit. There was a reason Palpatine said outright, hey, how about Masa Kenobi to protect Padme? Because he knew that Anakin was Obi-Wan's Padawan. He knew that Anakin had a thing for Padme. He freaking knew the entire time. He was grooming him ever since. Ever since he first touched him on the shoulder and said, we will watch your career with great interest. Anakin even drops that line 
you know, your guidance more than my patients, which means that they had been talking for the 10 years up until episode two. Yeah. But that so, has nothing to do with why I didn't like Anna's skin. That's oh, totally in favor. That's totally Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Palpatine's absolutely. And, but see, but him being so obsessive with it, Obi-Wan should have put the brakes on that right away. Hey, yeah, uh, my Padawan here is like obsessed with Senator Amidala. Probably not the best idea for his training and concentration and all that jazz. But again, that's part of the, the hubris that the Jedi had at the time. That awesome line, that self-fulfilling line from Yoda about how more and more older, more experienced Jedi were becoming arrogant and such and thinking that they could do no wrong. That's, again, part of the reason why the order fell. So just wanted to throw it out there. I'm going to disagree with you, and I don't think that that's part of the hubris of the Jedi. I think that's poor writing on George Lucas's part. Because, And here, let me tell you why. So we have... Anakin being obsessive over Padme. And it's very easy for children to keep things from adults, especially if adults aren't looking for them. Obi-Wan has no reason to think that Anakin has been thinking about Padme this whole time because it literally makes no sense. It makes no sense. Now, do we think of childhood friends that we don't see anymore from time to time? Yeah. But we don't obsess over them. And, and it is very easy now in this day and age of communication, in the digital age, to keep in touch. And just as easy to lose touch. But back then, when these movies were written and when they were being you know, brought out, this was, this was not a thing. It was hard to understand. I had a, a neighbor, and uh, we were like best friends. I connected with him on Facebook 15 years, like after I had seen him last, and met up with him for coffee. And that was it. Like, and I, I found him because I just went, hmm, I wonder how he's doing. But I had never obsessed over him. I didn't think about him every single day. So that I felt to be a... Poor writing on George Lucas's part. But also, this is more on the fact that we don't, at the time, and it's really highlighted, we see the toxicity. I mentioned the toxicity with, with Ahsoka. The toxicity really comes from Anakin, and she's being taught this by Anakin. Toxicity is a thing that is generally taught and it is passed down. Because children witness something. They think that it is normal. And the best way to highlight this is Clovis. Now, everybody's like, uh, yeah, he's definitely toxic, right? Because he's starting to turn. They're already married. They're starting. He's on his path to turning to the dark side, of course. But they sweep it under that dark side rug. Not realizing that this is a result of what he went through of his obsession from beforehand that was never discussed. And at the time that this movie came out, we did not have the vocabulary of emotional abuse, of gaslighting. And, you know, people can say, oh, well, you know, look at how he was raised and Clovis really is the bad guy and stuff. He just really loves her. You know, he doesn't have the emotional IQ to, 
you know, express himself healthfully. But you can't write off killing children. And while, yes, he was dark side when he killed children, Padme allowed it. Padme really saw no problem with it. She just was like, oh, no, Anakin, you're going someplace I can't go, but I love you and our, my love will save you. He killed children. No. There, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there. I watch that movie way more times than I should, admittedly. It holds a very soft, very special place in my heart. Freshman year, it's how my other best friends and I bonded or one of the ways we bonded, we all went to see it midnight showing. And at the time it was the last Star Wars movie. So anyway, watching that movie, she went to confront him. And for starters, you're pregnant. You're not going to run like that. You're going to waddle out there and be like, the fuck Anakin? Like, really? Like, you're going to be hormonal. You're going to be like, your back's going to hurt. Okay. Pregnant women out there. Again, I went through it, but not myself personally, but my, my wife went through it twice. So, I, I understand. Okay. She does recoil from him. She does kind of start to pull back a little bit. And that's when Obi-Wan appears at the top of the stairs with the hands on the hips. Like, boy, you in trouble. She only recoiled because he physically choked her. He choked her. She pulls, she pulls back. She's like, I I, I don't know you anymore. Like, You've changed. My point is that we didn't have the vocabulary for emotional abuse or verbal abuse. The only type of abuse, and while people knew like verbal abuse, it was the whole sticks and stones mentality, right? Oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, no. I, as like a seven-year-old, which was in the early 90s, like 1990, knew that that was BS. Absolutely new. I'm like, uh uh-uh. I knew at that young age that words stuck with you for a long time, and it was harder to get over words. But we still have that mentality. It took literally physically abusing her for him, for her to be like, no. And the whole, and that's, granted, this is episode three, but in episode two, the entire reason why they get married is so that Luke and Leia can be born. Is that she can get pregnant. That's the entire purpose of their relationship. That is bad writing. That is bad direction. Now, I have come to understand Anakin more through the Clone Wars. But here's the thing. It took the Clone Wars to flesh that character out. It took Matt Lanter's wonderful interpretation to bring it to life. To see that struggle, because we don't see, because unfortunately Hayden Christensen is very wooden in his portrayal of Anakin Skywalker. And that is the one thing that everybody's kind of, I think, is apprehensive about. Because I've seen other things that he's done, not when he was a child, but as an adult. And he's really not that bad of an actor. And, but granted, he took 10 years off from filming Star Wars because his girlfriend at the time was pregnant. They have a daughter. He has like a ranch up in Montana. He literally, yeah, yeah, literally went off the grid for like 10 years so he could raise his daughter and, you know, stay away from the toxicity 
Because I think that he knew he did a bad job. But we can't blame him solely for that. Because he does have the skills that are there. And we have Ewan McGregor who's talking about how, you know, it's like they never left. It was like just it was the next day on the prequels, right? Like no time had gone by at all. And now he has good writing. Now he has good direction. Now he's older. Now he knows that he can say no. Now he has some experience under his belt that we're seeing something that's going to be better. But it took seven seasons of an animated show with another actor to flesh out this character. We should have gotten everything we needed from Anakin in those three movies. Yep. The Clone Wars, while yes, fleshed out the Clone Wars because the movies really didn't didn't really touch on the Clone Wars and that is rich, deep text to begin with. But what the Clone Wars did was make Anakin understandable because all we have is him basically wanting a authoritarian government even though he's a Jedi. Padme going, no. And him talking about how bad sand is. Now granted, (laughs) there is, and I show this to Ken, there's a great, um, there's a fan edit of the three prequel trailers And I don't know why, but one of them has been taken down. So it's a little hard to find, but you can still find it. And it turns episode two into a buddy cop movie, which is basically, I think, what it was kind of supposed to be. And it makes Anakin palatable. Like, when he's talking about, like, how sand is coarse and rough, and I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I I was getting a little verklempt. I was like, oh, well, hello, Anakin. What do you know? Okay, maybe you do have some moves. It's the same line said the exact same way, just in a different context, and it makes it make sense. But again, that is the flaw of the prequels, is that it took somebody else making very long-form con- like, and I mean long-form, it took seven seasons to flesh everything out. I am excited for him to come back in the Kobenobi show because I think that we're going to see really what Hayden Christensen can do and really understand this rage that is going on that he cannot escape. And I think that we will really get a better understanding of what was going on in his head and what, you know, during the Clone Wars and what is going on in his mind now. And we really see that duality. The character itself is a good character. You know, it is two sides of the same coin. I got a, a friend for uh, Secret Santa. There was an artwork of, of showing half Anakin, half Vader. Uh, and I, I got this poster for him, and he was just floored. He was like, this is amazing. I absolutely love this. This is Because Anakin was his favorite character. But for me, it took that. And that's where I started to like Anakin. Because you can't... Because the things that were not palatable... Because I walked out of a, Attack of the Clones going... I don't have the vocabulary to know why this was not okay, but this was not okay. Like, and Attack the Clones, that love story does not stand up. It, it wasn't good back then. And while people can try to argue and say, well, it wasn't supposed to be. No, no. It was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a good and solid love story. 
George Lucas doesn't know how to write women, doesn't know how to write romance, and certainly doesn't know how to write anything that has to do with an OBGYN. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I uh, can't say I disagree with you on, on a lot of those points. To kind of go back a little bit here, yeah, if in Rebels, after they have their initial meeting, the explosion, whatever, in the rubble, you see Vader kind of pop out of the dust a little bit and you hear him heavy breathing. He's missing that part of his mask. If you just kind of saw like his eyebrow raised in that very like bewildered look and it's slightly blue and he's like, Hey, ah Ahsoka, like he can't like you're, you're seeing that he's processing and she's trying to talk to him and he's, he's distant. He's not coherent. It's like, he's taking his time in that very kind of dazed manner. Like ah Ahsoka, Ahsoka. Like and you, you pause, like you, you want him to come back and you know he's not gonna, but it's just that, that hope, you, you get that glimmer of hope and all of a sudden you see him kind of shake it off a little bit, the eye slowly fades into yellow and then he gets that angry look and then you will die. Like that, that would have had such a greater impact even for a kid's show. Mm -hmm. It was kind of hasty in that regard. So yeah, uh, going into Hayden Christensen, George Lucas is by and far the major weakness of the prequels. He was on, <laughs> to quote director Krennic from Rogue One, we were on the verge of greatness. You're this close. Like he had something amazing at, about to emerge. He just was in his own way. He surrounded himself with too many yes men and... I have said it before, I'll say it again, he would have been better off serving as executive producer mm -hmm. and just there to oversee creative stuff, but allow other people to handle the writing and directing. As such, if they would have started the Clone Wars even before the movie started, you're just you're right in the thick of it. They're trying to negotiate something or other. Naboo is a neutral world or something or other, or it's at the... Some something with major hyperspace link or some jargon I don't know, and the the separatists move in and then you gotta have the big fight. Anakin and Padme are about the same age, like mid teens ish, and they fall in love there. And then it's kind of implied that through the next how many years into Episode Two, blah blah blah, culminating with Episode Three. I have seen some rather amazing behind-the-scenes training footage of Anakin for Episode 3 where he takes a, a woman stunt double. He raises his hand. She f goes up about eight feet, flies back into the wall, gripping her throat. <laughs> like, he violently picks her up with the force and throws her. And, and then she collapses and he goes to fight Obi-Wan. In the graphic novel adaptation for revenge of the sith he does that he violently grips her with the force throws her against a wall and it's those internal injuries that help lead to her death it's not because of a broken heart because she was sad which hey you know luke luke ditched his friends and went to go hide on some island like a little bitch because he was sad so he definitely takes half for his mother Sorry. I mean, I've That's always second said Leia is very much Anakin's daughter. Oh, dude. I was waiting for when the lightsaber starts flickering and, and the Force Awakens, I would have absolutely lost my freaking mind if it was Leia standing there with it. Like, okay, Ben, we're going to do this. And, okay, yeah, she wasn't fully trained or whatever, but she could have 
held her own against her son. No disrespect to Daisy Ridley. I think it would have been cooler. But anyway, I digress. Just um, to, I'm going to segue because I'm going to finish yeah. off my argument here. I think that was yeah. a perfect. Yeah, yeah, The father-son thing because to me, after seeing the prequels and the sequels, I, you know, found the despecialized editions. Those are really the only editions that I will watch. But I do find that Anakin's redemption, after seeing all of that, all of the Clone Wars and everything like that, while I I finally got the feeling that many people did when they originally watched Return of the Jedi, I really did see how pure Anakin's heart was at the end of Return of the Jedi. His, you know, really giving up everything for his son, that change, that I think everything, the prequels, the Clone Wars, everything about that, that truly does make, really solidify that sacrifice really brings it full circle. And that to me, after seeing that, I went, oh, I got it. I got it. And as somebody who's lost a parent, who was the last person to say anything to this parent, and when the, you know, when my, my mother passed away, it went very quickly. But everybody agrees that she held on until I got there to say goodbye. I kind of had my own Luke and Anakin moment, right? That became very poignant to me. It, it made it make sense. And, you know, yes, we kind of want that, you know, Ahsoka, that, that kind of, ref that's a reflection. That truly is the rhyming thing that many Star Wars fans, you know, bring up. The past, it rhymes, right? That, that right there, I think, is the perfect rhyming moment. Him trying to kind of come back, almost there with Ahsoka, but then finally does with Luke. Because Ahsoka was his Padawan, but Padawans are students. They're not children. That doesn't make them any less important you know, if you never have a child, your students are, are as close to it. But he had history and years with Ahsoka. He had but minutes with Luke. And that right there, the fact that he didn't spend so much time with Luke, but that connection was still there. He could feel that connection and that love from Luke. To me, I'm like, I hate to say it, it makes it all okay. It doesn't excuse any of his actions, but it makes it all make sense. So, I'm excited. I'm excited. No, no, absolutely. And to further that, when you're talking about your mom, who's chopping onions? Seriously. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. It's okay. uh, you never really talked about that with me before, so I, I thank you for sharing that. Vader is so what, a very... That's what happens when you get a couple of uh, cocktails oh, in you here at the cantina. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. Corellian ale in a clean in a clean glass. So 
Vader is a very complex kind of character because he is very selfish. He's very greedy. Shmi said it, his mom, Anakin's mom. He knows nothing to read. Oh, yes, he does. He doesn't want things to change. He wants to keep them exactly the way they are. Not because he's trying to save or preserve anything. It's because of how it makes him feel. Jedi are selfless. They only care about others. Bull roar, dude. You're trying to save Padme because you can't accept the fact that she is going to die someday. And the visions you have, you're not smart enough, mature enough to think, okay, they don't have to be have to be reality. Yoda tries telling him, hey, it's you have to let go. It's hard. It's very difficult. But you have to. To go back to an earlier episode where I talk about that fan creation of Master Grogu talking about how not being afraid of loss is the way. The dark side can't touch you if you're not afraid. Like, that's powerful stuff. And that's one of... Anakin's deep flaws. The comic books started to flesh that out a little bit more, especially with the rise of Skywalker. A lot of new context, recontextualizing some of those scenes. Vader didn't have to stop Luke from striking down Palpatine. Vader had the perfect out right there. That manipulative dude who got him to hate himself because he lied to him about why Padme was dead. Anakin slash Vader, Vader thought he killed his own wife. And when you hate yourself that much, the dark side is going to forever hold you. And that's how Palpatine had to manipulate him. Furthermore, Luke, if he were to have struck down Palpatine in anger, guess what? Palpatine does a transfer essence thing. Palpatine's got a healthy vessel to inhabit and Vader is still subservient to that. So when Vader goes to block Luke, it's there's a lot of reasons why he went to go block that blow. And when Luke threw his saber down, Vader knew exactly what was coming. And he had to wrestle with the fact that he watched all of his loved ones die. He watched all of the good things in his life fall to pieces. In fact, the three most important people in his life, the last words they ever said to him were, I love you. Shmi said it before she died in Attack of the Clones. Padme said it before he choked her out and she died in Episode 3. Obi-Wan said it as he's burning alive on Mustafar when Vader was truly born. That was, for him, the last thing he ever heard from his old master before he see him again in the suit. So, for us to... And I give... I give... Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams some credit there for Rise of Skywalker to kind of give that sort of fulfillment of the dark side of the force as a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Yeah, hey, you strike somebody down in anger who's a, a Sith Lord, they're going to they're gonna latch onto you like a parasite, and that's how they get their immortality. Two things. One about that is that there is a short story that just came out it's terrible. Don't read it. I read it so you don't have to. We're about how Maul, basically how Obi-Wan wrestled with the dark side, with the death of Satine. Again, don't read it. It's terrible. But that's there. <laughs> we'll discuss it later. I promise you. It's Don't read it. It's terrible. Literally, it's, it's men writing women and going, I have to write a woman. Ugh. 
fine. She's there, I guess. Even though she's like the entire reason why they want to say that he wrestled with it. Anyway, but his pregnant wife. Here's the thing. This is a little thing. I don't know if I'll keep it in. It might. It might be something for our TikTok, TikTok listeners. George Lucas is afraid of anything that is OBGYN related, and Ken can back me up on this. But I am sick and tired of everybody saying they kept her looking pregnant so that they would hide the children, that the, hide the fact that the children were born. When a woman gives birth, their stomach doesn't immediately go away. You still look pregnant. Why do you think there's all of this diet stuff or lose the baby weight? Where do you think that weight is? Do you think that your stomach just becomes cavernous? Like, do you think it just is concaved after birth? No, no. No, no, that right there shows that George Lucas has no idea about the birthing process. And yes, I am aware he has children. I guarantee he still doesn't know anything about the birthing process. So please stop with that whole line of rhetoric because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's just not true. Anybody who gave birth Seeing her give, seeing her, yes, can be like, because she hid her pregnancy, could be like, oh my God, she was pregnant. But anybody who was pregnant or has, knows a woman who has been pregnant would be like, wait, but did she give birth? It's questionable, but it is not a foolproof plan to hide the fact that the twins were born. Please stop. Okay, that's done. Speaking of of prequel era, Dooku. Yeah, Dooku. Yeah. Um, And this one. Now, I don't know much about Dooku. I the only thing I know about Dooku. I didn't either. Yeah. What we see in the Clone Wars and in the prequels. So this is going to be new for me. So I'm going to give this over to Ken because this is he's going to take us on a story. I know. Because I don't. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I don't know what there is to not like about the character. (laughs) You know, I think it's more, I would see it as like, oh, well, I guess you'd love, you hate that you love him. Because he is, he is really good. And he did bring us Asajj Ventress. Yes. Yes, he did. And her origins are actually much earlier than that show, but I'll get into that in a sec. So when it came to Dooku, he was one of those characters that I was very in, indifferent towards. I say that only because when it it came to Attack of the Clones, when you get wrapped up in the excitement of it, your first scene in the theaters, the spectacle and all that stuff, take it all in. You don't really think about things at 16 that you do at 36. I, again, I never disliked Dooku. In fact, I had a brief passing interest in the character once I heard the name Darth Tyrannus, which is a crime that was never used again on screen after Attack of the Clones. I, that's, I, come on, what a title, right? So fitting for Dooku and says so much without having to really dive too deep 
into who he is. But again, like Attack of the Clones proper itself, I found the character rather forgettable. Two-dimensional, little wooden. Christopher Lee, an absolute legend, long before 2002 when the movie came out. And to have an actor of his caliber practically wasted by Lucas's less than stellar script writing, it took other creators to flesh out the character and other works to help give Dooku the TLC he deserved. Again, just the fact that you even got Christopher Lee to even talk to you should, should you should be ashamed of yourself if you, you don't use him the way you should have. So it's honestly too bad that Dooku couldn't have been in Episode One as a Jedi, and Qui-Gon's death is what drives him to leave the Order at the end of the film, and then become involved with the Separatists in Episode 2. In fact, I had a fun headcanon moment recently where it's too bad Episode 1 couldn't have been written kind of like the Three Musketeers, in that you have Dooku, Qui-Gon, and Mace as the three elders, you know, your Athos, your Porthos, your Aramis, and then you have Obi-Wan as your D'Artagnan. They find Anakin. Obi-Wan is like, yo, we don't need this kid. And Qui-Gon's, no, this is, this is where we have to go. And enter Maul, Qui-Gon dies, Dooku quits, Obi-Wan takes on Master Apprentice, rest is history. So anyway, how I came to appreciate the character. A couple years ago, a friend of mine suggested the Age of Republic Dooku one-shot comic and the Dooku Jedi Lost audio drama, two very awesome pieces of Star Wars content. I gave them both a try, and I enjoyed them both immensely. Both Kevin Scott and Jody Hauser really captured aspects of the character that Lucas didn't have time for in the film in 15 minutes worth he had him in. I also had other comics from Dark Horse Comics when they had the license in the early aughts, but given my age as I read them, post-Attack of the Clones, which itself was still very fresh in my brain at the time, they didn't resonate with me until revisiting them as an adult, having some more experience, being able to recontextualize them. Okay, So going back to both the Clone Wars shows, the 2D and 3D uh, series, Dooku wasn't too prevalent. When he was featured, it was to teach Asajj about why she was no Sith, even though she wanted to be, as well as to show us some Jedi arts Grievous claimed to have learned at Dooku's hand. Fast forward to the CG series, Filoni didn't really do much with Dooku initially, and he felt kind of more like the Saturday morning cartoon villain. But over time, you got to see a cunning mind and devoted follower to a mission to bring peace, albeit through force and domination. Added bonus for getting Christopher Lee to reprise the role in the 2008 theatrical Clone Wars release again to be able to have his presence. Shame on you if you don't utilize him. Where is this all heading? Okay, so I really appreciate how Dooku's character has evolved organically over the years through other mediums. Attack of the Clones didn't do him enough justice. We can beat that dead horse all we want. But there is complexity there that is beneath the surface. Yes, you have to seek out the extra material thanks to Lucas's lack of true character development in that film. However, it's totally worth it because there's just enough material to be great and it doesn't overdo it to the point of being convoluted. You get the kind of attention to his journey that doesn't feel like a requirement to enjoy the films or Clone Wars CG 2D shows which is a trap some modern franchises fall into as they strive to stay relevant, a.k.a. profitable. And that 
discussion is coming, I can assure you. So in a sense, Dooku fully personified a part of Vader we got glimpses in in the original trilogy. He was a brilliant and ruthless leader who inspired loyalty through fear. I even saw a comparison once that each prequel villain had a Vader trope. Maul was Vader's flawed devotion to the dark side, along with his anger and hate. Grievous was the mechanical monster, and Vader was kind of that amalgam of all three of those prequel villains. And when it came to Dooku, there was also that regal elegance that he had that gave him a persona of being charismatic, which is why he was the face of the Confederacy, a.k.a. the Separatists. And had he not fallen to the dark side, Dooku could very well have led the Separatists as a pragmatic force user not bound to any sort of code. So... End rant, slash, end verbal vomit, whatever. And I even have the notes, notable character <laughs> appearances. I'm sure Leah was going to kick out of. So, Leah, what do you have to say about Dooku now that you got to hear me say it out loud? I can see where you found him to be wooden. I can see where he was, you know, almost very one note, where... He kind of just did what he said. And again, it took the Clone Wars to really see his devotion, to see his motivation for these things. But you, unlike Hayden Christensen, Sir Christopher Lee, rest in peace, was, a fen- as you said, phenomenal talent that he could take the wooden lines and make them menacing. I love to hate Dooku. I remember him in the movies and thinking he was one of the best parts about it. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't realize that Palpatine, I didn't you know, really know that Palpatine was the one behind Vader. And so you know, I went through the prequels kind of learning that. Uh, I knew the Emperor, but I didn't realize it was Emperor Palpatine. So I I wasn't thinking that it was necessarily Count Dooku who was behind it all. But to me, watching that, Count Dooku was definitely the arm of Palpatine. Was the one saying the things and doing the things that Palpatine couldn't. Even though Palpatine, we see, you know, chastises him and everything like that. And when, when Anakin kills him, beheads him, you know, does the, the scissor chop with the lightsabers, the lightsaber scissor chop, I was like, yeah! Like, I, I cheered it. Because he was able to convey that. It's the same thing with Ewan McGregor and Obi-Wan, right? Obi-Wan didn't have great lines. Obi-Wan had the same quality of of dialogue and script that everybody else did but he had the experience to really bring it to life and it's why a lot of people still he stuff that could make people not like obi-wan ewan mcgregor's talent and ability was able to turn it around and i think that christopher lee did the exact same thing so i think it is interesting that I can see where you're like, oh, I really didn't care for him. But then you you heard these audiobooks and you saw these inner workings. But again, I think it is the fault of the prequels that it takes 
comics, and books, and TV shows to make them make sense and flesh them out. And what people have a problem with the sequels we're seeing now are the exact same problems that people had with the prequels. Because while, yes, I will give this to the prequels, they can stand alone. Just because they can stand alone doesn't mean that they're good. Doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that they're better alone. It still required all of this extra media to make them understood. So for people saying that, like, this is a problem with, you know, just the sequels, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that it is not a problem with the sequel. It definitely is. We have saw this before, and we saw it before at George Lucas's own hands. So for those who are saying George Lucas would have been better, exhibit A, the prequels. Yep, if, if he would have had, again, first of all, a plan. I don't care what anybody says. He had no idea what the hell he was doing. No. That, I mean, that video, that, that, that behind the scenes video of him in like 1994 going to write episode one, he says, no, I just need an idea. Dude, you kept saying you had these things already planned out. How do you not have a story already? He was just winging it. I mean, He was yeah. just winging it. There's also... Um, he had Luke and Leia French kiss. He had no idea what he was doing. They weren't French kissing, but she did kiss him romantically. Uh... There was some open mouth going on there. Come on. And that's all to make Harrison Ford jealous. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I mean, yeah, it's not great. I'm not saying it's great. But there is. It's old. It's, gosh, I think it's 10 years old at this point. All uh, the changes he made to it, and he couldn't have taken that out? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. <laughs> There's a YouTube video. Wonderful YouTube video. It's about 20 minutes long. I recommend everybody watch it if you haven't. It's called Star Wars Was Saved in the Editing. And it talks about how Star Wars won the Oscar for editing because Mm -hmm. George Lucas's now ex-wife and the editing team went, no. And they took it and they re-edited it because the way that George Lucas had it was terrible. We would not have Star Wars today. Ken and I would not have met. You would not be listening to us now. Nope. If it was not for the editing team of episode four. And the big person in George Lucas's life, Marsha Lucas, his ex-wife, she kept him in line. She challenged him. She was not afraid to stand up to him. And I think those films are just as much hers as they are his because of it. And in recent years, she's given a few interviews even where she's like, I don't know what he was doing with the prequels. And one has to wonder if she was still in the picture somehow, could the prequels have been better as a result? I would think yes. I I definitely think yes. Because he would have had somebody telling him no. And he would have had somebody who had enough power to get people behind her to support her. Because there's two ways. You can have somebody who's very powerful and has a naysayer, but their voice gets lost in the sea of yeses. And there's somebody who is a naysayer that is almost equal to the head person that can get people behind them, listen to them, and have a collective pushback. And I think that that's where she was. And I think that if she had been a part of the prequels, and yes, I definitely think there would be 
a much we it would be much more and probably be up to empire level and really be the movies of the century that they were touted to be when they came out. I mean, 13-year-old me is always and forever going to love episode one. I've said it before. I'll say it again. My favorite Star Wars movie. Unashamedly, unabashedly, I don't care. That's just me. That's my thing. Deeply flawed as it is. And I could list off all the flaws and do it well, too. And I don't care. I love it. I love it. I love the memes. I love the jokes. Uh, there's a good Dooku one where it's it's him looking off to the side as Anakin's got the, the lightsabers crossed and he's scared. He's got that, that kind of look on his face like, oh, wait, what? You just told him to what? And the caption goes, when you start a fight at the bar and your buddy pretends not to know you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. And that's one of those plot holes that, again, George Lucas is wonderful writing. Dooku has his shot to to just kind of lay it out there. Oh, you just betrayed me. All right, dude, I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to just lay it all out there. So if they could have somehow avoided that, Dooku being in the same room as Palpatine, which, ironically, Anakin ends up killing everyone in that room at some point in the saga, but I digress. Um, he doesn't kill Obi-Wan. Yeah, he does. No, he doesn't. Techni- technically, he does. No, he doesn't. He, he does kills not. his... He kills his mortal form, his corporeal form. He does not. His corporeal form disappears. Because of the the lightsaber, man. He He bifurcates him for crying out loud. Yes, he does. He doesn't bifurcate Obi-Wan. Go back. Go back. Watch that scene. Watch the scene at at almost the end of A New Hope. When he strikes strikes Obi-Wan, as the lightsaber cuts through him, he disappears. Why does he stop on nothing then? He does it. It's crappy 70s effect. No, he's standing because there's literally nothing in that cloak. The it disappears and it 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 goes down. So Obi-Wan force ghosts. He doesn't get by it's nothing to do with any kind of cheesy 70s sci-fi thing. He force ghosts. And we see it when Yoda force ghosts and we see it in the sequels when Ben Force Ghosts, they disappear. Obi-Wan disappears before Anakin can strike him down. And he's not, because if he were to be split in half, you would have seen the cloak be horizontal long ways. Instead, it just kind of falls into a pool like the Wicked Witch of the West. And Vader touches it because Obi-Wan isn't there. He knows he didn't kill Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan force ghosted. It must have been super timed because I'm sorry. It is. Robe didn't fall until after Vader's saber hit it. And Obi-Wan even warns him, if you strike me down, I should become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Right. But that's like, so that's a warning. But what he does is he batter ups, right? Vader batter ups and starts to swing. And you see the cloak collapse inward because he's force ghost and then fall to the ground. He didn't kill Obi-Wan. Okay. All right. I mean, I'm, we can agree I'm ready, to disagree. This, it's I'm okay. We're just, we're just, we're, yeah, we're going to throw it down. It's cool. Oh man. It's all right. I'm going to show you. It, that's okay. I do, I do <laughs> suggest that everybody go watch that YouTube video, search for it. It's called 
Star Wars was saved in the editing. It's a phenomenal YouTube video. It should still be up. It's probably the guy's most viral video uh, because it is incredibly well done. It is a wonderful video essay, wonderful archive footage, stuff like that. But yeah, it's that's where it comes from. Absolutely. And before we run out of time here, I do want to get into some of my sources for why I really started to like Dooku as a character. First and foremost, Dooku, Jai Lost by Kevin Scott. Absolutely awesome. Best in the audio form because they get a full cast. The one detraction is the voice actor that they picked for Dooku does not even come close to the gravitas that Christopher Lee had. Corey Burton, if they could have gotten him to do it, would have been better just because he has that same, not same, but he has a very similar baritone that could have resonated better with the story. It, it does a good job of exploring Dooku's early years with the Jedi, going all the way up to his having Qui-Gon as an apprentice, his tragic and tumultuous relationship with his own father, and who has actually was the Count of Sereno, his home planet, and then his ascendancy to being the Count of Sereno, and then the events leading up to his leaving the Jedi Order and becoming the Sith Lord of Darth Tyrannus. Now, I did mention this also, Age of Republic, Dooku, great one-shot. It's pure fun, absolutely pure fun. Jody Hauser gives us some really great political intrigue and yet some great action with Dooku in the early stages of the Clone Wars. The art fits the story and the character well, and it's it's just great to see Dooku being Dooku, quote-unquote, without any kind of filler or any sort of contrived whatever. It's just a great, fun, quick story that captures the spirit of, of Dooku and one of the brighter spots of that sort of one-shot kind of thing they did a few years ago with the Age of Republic, Age of Rebellion, Age of Resistance. Maul, son of Dathomir. Now, the only reason why I put this one in here is because Maul gets to meet Dooku, which is really fun, and it ends up about how you think. And then we also get to see how the droid army led by Dooku decimates Dathomir. Dooku, ruthless, man, just takes them all out, sends Grievous out to do his work, and the last thing you see, spoiler alert, the last thing you see in the story is is Maul watching Mother Talzin, for him, his mother, die at the hands of the Separatists. And then to wrap this up, there is a Legends comic called Jedi Dooku, Count Dooku. It's a one-shot from Dark Horse Comics. And what they tried to do is take some Jedi characters and showcase them in oversized one-shots. And they actually were part of a overall narrative. First one is Mace Windu, which introduces us to Asajj Ventress fully, formally. Second one is Ayla Sakura, which gives us some awesome Aura Singh, who was actually a Jedi Padawan before being presumed dead and then kind of becoming a bounty hunter. Then it was Dooku. When it came to Dooku, we get to see him seduce Quinlan Voss, 
who we got to see briefly in The Clone Wars, the CG show. And then we got him again in Dark Disciple, which is so far the canonical death of Asajj Ventress. And it's a really awesome love story with her and Quinlan Voss. He, Voss still falls to the dark side with Dooku. They don't get into it as much, which is kind of, okay, it's a little disjointed because it was supposed to be Clone Wars episodes. But I digress. Anyway, in this comic, Count Dooku one shot. He gets Quinlan Voss to turn uh, dark side. But here's the catch. Voss was actually sent to kill him because the Jedi thought that Dooku was the main Sith Lord they were looking for. And so we get some awesome, awesome lore and even get to see that Dooku was almost as good a manipulator as Sidious. So, you take all this content, even the Legends stuff, I mean, honestly, if it works for you, at the end of the day, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? So, those are, those are my thoughts on Count Dooku, and then also Ezra Bridger. Leah, do you have anything you want to, to contribute while we wrap this up? No, I think that I... St- said everything that I wanted to say and granted with things that we've talked about in the past and with the Kenobi show coming up if I have any more thoughts they're definitely going to be heard uh for sure but right now I think that everybody on everything that's just on everybody's mind is the Kenobi show I will say uh given our format is that we are regularly scheduled content is going to be every other week When it comes to the reviewing of shows, it's going to be each episode for each episode coming out. So now this will be different. The Kenobi show, as we've all heard, and if you haven't, surprise, they are not going to start the first episode on a Wednesday on the 25th like they first advertised. It's moving back two days to the 27th, but... They are going to be showing two episodes. So the first two episodes will come out. A nice little movie, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, probably the first two episodes are supposed to go together. um, That it is almost supposed to be more movie-like. So there will only be five weeks of Kenobi. We will not be doing two separate episodes for the two separate episodes. We're just going to do a extended episode like you have here for those two because really it it doesn't make sense because everybody's watched the first two episodes there's nothing to predict in the future so do know that we are going to be doing these but our regularly scheduled content will not be at the same time as the review releases so we will be taking a break the things that we talk on uh this has kind of been kind of lighthearted, really focused more on the characters and everything like that, but we do have a lot of things in place uh, coming up, like ableism, for example, in the Star Wars universe, and what type of ableism is allowed or what we would like to see. Uh, there's also, we've got some things, heated things that a lot of people have ideas on, like fan fiction. Uh, we've got a lot coming up. We do have some guests that are going to be coming on as well. I'm very excited for Keep an eye on our TikTok, on our Instagram, somewhat our Twitter. You're still going to have to convince me to do Twitter. 
I, 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 don't. I don't even do Twitter. I only joined Twitter to try to win a backpack from a now defunct uh, channel. So it doesn't even matter. But you can find all of our socials, uh, our description box below. You can, uh, again, keep a lookout for our YouTube. Again, we have not started our face reveals just yet. Uh, but if you are interested in, you know, if it's more accessible for you to be on YouTube to listen to this than it is to on Spotify uh, or any of the other platforms they have us on. I'm sorry I blanked on that. Please like, share, and subscribe as always. Uh, we do have you here. As we always say at the closing of the cantina, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But until next time. Remember, we always serve your kind here. Watch Obi-Wan Kenobi before Stranger Things Season 4, which also coincidentally comes out on May the 27th. Not a coincidence. I'm sure that there's something, but they can still watch. They can watch it in the same day. The streaming war has. We're weird. Bye.